Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Richie Burke, founder and CEO of Go Get It Marketing and Media. Richie, wonderful to have you in the studio today. Paul, thank you much, so much for having me. Well, as I said when you walked in, there's those inflection moments in your life, and today's the day I know Beyond the Known has made it, because we have Richie Burke here today. Yeah, I can't disagree with that statement, but I'm just honored to be here, big fan of you, and looking forward to getting this kicked off. Awesome. Well, that makes two of us. I'm a big fan of Richie, big fan of GGMM, so let's get to work here. So Richie, it's obvious for anybody that spends two minutes with you, you're passionate about marketing. You're passionate about podcasting. Where did this passion come from, would you say? I think people sometimes tend to be passionate about things that they're good at. I didn't grow up very passionate about marketing or podcasting. I started my business out of college as a daily deal site. It was like a Groupon Living Social type site. I took a door-to-door sales job my last year of college, which was a very uncomfortable experience, just selling discounted brewer ticket packages door to door that send you off to middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I'd go bang on a hundred doors a day. You might actually like that job. It was very uncomfortable for me, but I was going to say this actually sounds yeah, fun. Yeah, Where do I yeah, sign up? Yeah, exactly. This would have been right in your wheelhouse, but I was kind of afraid to talk to people. So the fact of going in and selling something to someone who was on the clock working was very nerve wracking for me. It was on straight commission, got pretty good at it and it kind of liked running around all day and trying to hit my numbers and stuff like that. And I graduated college and didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, whatever, I'll start a business, we'll try and do something big. And that was when Groupon and Living Social were kind of hot. So I started gogetit.com as a deal site. And in that first year, we had like 15,000 users, over 100 clients, and it wasn't making any money. It was very good execution on a very shitty business model. It was very high volume, low margin, very saturated. But this was like in 2012, and we started running some social media profiles for small businesses. I started doing that for free, got a good response, started charging money for it, shooting some videos, stuff like that, and then pivoted to a marketing agency in 2013, which was a mess. I can go into that if you want me to. Why not? We certainly love good stories here at Beyond the Known, so please. I got a couple stories. So my skill set is not behind a camera. I'm not a writer, so I needed to hire people to run the social media profiles, shoot videos, design websites, stuff like that. So I hired these two people on. One was a very bright girl, went to Duke, was in New York, came back here to be back home, and she she like started showing up late and you know, it was ended up fabricating all her credentials and I had to let her go after like six weeks and it was just a bizarre situation. So she was one of the two. And then the other guy I brought on He was a little older than me. I mean, I was early, mid-20s at the time. He was like mid-30s, ex-football player, just always like amped up and ready to go. I called him the freight train, which is a good attitude to have in a startup, right? You got to be ready to go and amped up. And everything was going fine. And then we signed on a car dealership, Ewald, in the area. They got like eight dealerships. And at that point, you're you're trying to make it. And we're working with like all these mom-and-pop shops. And at that point, we were like, oh, nice. We signed them on. We're shooting commercials that are actually going to be on TV. They're paying us a few grand a month. Like, we're actually going to make it. This is going to work. And then the morning of our first commercial shoot, I won't forget, this is like a Wednesday morning in March. And I'm all nervous because this is like 
my big break, right? We got to deliver for these guys. You know, you start a business, you, you've really got to deliver, you got to deliver for all your clients, but especially those first ones that you need those. And my phone starts vibrating out like 4 a.m. and it's an unknown number. And I, I think I was not sleeping very well and kind of nervous. Usually I wouldn't pick that call up, but I pick it up and answer it. It's, hello, this is the Milwaukee County Jail. Will you accept this phone call? And the freight train's in with a DUI on a Tuesday night in March in Milwaukee. Like, what are you doing? Where's the party freight train? Like, how does this happen? So in this is the morning of our big shoot. So I run over to jail. <laughs> I was one phone call. <laughs> so I show up and I, I pick him up and he, he rolls out and his eyes are just bloodshot, hazed over and his car with all the camera equipment is towed in the impound and we need to run and go get that and reschedule the shoot and, and, and everything. So anyway, that was the start of my marketing agency as well as all the other like difficult things you have to go through when you start a, a business. So anyway, you know, kept grinding, pushing through that. We got a good break, started getting some work on New York in like 2013. And then, you know, just hired some better people. I set the bar pretty low for myself. So it was only up from there. And we grew, started the Go-Getters podcast in 2016, saw what that did for our business. And I was like, why aren't more brands producing audio? This is what it did for our small business. I think brands should be producing podcasts and then start offering that as a service in 2018, which took a little while for that to get off the ground. But now we're lucky to work with some great companies like Komatsu and Johnson Controls and MSOE and Marquette and Trek and Thrivent and a number of smaller businesses as well. So that's kind of the cliff notes on on how I, I got into it and podcasting. I just, I saw people doing what I wanted to do on a national scale and no one was really doing it locally for Milwaukee. And I thought, Hey, I could be that guy. And this could be a great way to highlight stories and selfishly grow my network and get brand exposure in the area for my business. And it's turned out to, to do that. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it, it's hard to fire up Facebook or LinkedIn and not see your handsome face around there. So in terms of content creation and really making an impact on the business community, I would say that you have definitely succeeded in that regard. One thing that you had mentioned that I kind of want to glom onto, you had talked about how, I don't know if the word necessarily is afraid, but it seemed like there was some uncomfortability talking to other people kind of interesting that you're in this career now. I mean, you interview people for a living. You talk with very influential people every single day. So either A, you hide it extremely well, or B, you've learned to somehow overcome or manage that displeasure, that dislike, that anxiety, whatever you want to call it. How would you say what side of the coin is it? And if it is, hey, I've been able to kind of overcome that and master that, how did you go about doing that? Because overcoming fears is difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. As far as talking to other people or public speaking, stuff like that, I got made fun of for my voice, kind of ironically, growing up a good amount. And I think that just made me nervous talking to people anywhere from probably, I mean, that was probably for like second grade on, maybe through high school even at times. So I think that you know, my buddies would just give me shit and stuff like that. I kind of had a low, slow voice. People thought I was stoned and I didn't smoke weed sometimes. So, you know, I just got, I got made fun of a bit for that. And I think that caused some social anxiety in that way. And I, I've, you know, I've been pretty open about anxiety issues on my podcast. I have those in other ways right now. And I realized public speaking would be a very important skill in, in business and even selling and doing that, those kind of things. And the only way to really get through that is to face it head on. And you know that when it comes to over 
overcoming fear really the only way to rewire your brain and get better is to actually do it it's one thing to have the the knowledge to do it and read about what to do but going and doing it is the difficult part so how have you been able to overcome that to some degree? And, and part of the reason that we're friends and part of the reason that I admire you is you have been so open and authentic about your struggles. And there's a lot of people out there that aren't, you know, never let them see you sweat, never let them see you cry. I've got life all well put together. Nobody has life 100% licked. And I think that humanizes you, that allows people to connect with you. And coming from a guy like myself, I try to be open with my past struggles as well, too. I've had anxiety. I've had depression. In my worst moments, there was the occasional suicide thought. I hate to admit that, but that was certainly there. I've been off anxiety medications for a decade. I've done things that have worked for me. I know you're doing things that work for you. So how have you been able to overcome these struggles to have this successful career that you have? Yeah, I think exposure therapy is big, and I can touch more on that. And that's essentially just facing it and starting small and getting small wins and building off of that. Like the thing that's messed me up recently, which I've been very open about, is I had a bad panic attack on a flight like three and a half years ago. It was never, had flown thousands of times, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of times before that, never had any issues. Then all of a sudden, a plane stalled on a tarmac for. 30 minutes, which isn't, isn't out of the norm that happens. And I, I just absolutely lose it. Want to get off the plane, can't get off. And, you know, I was kind of doing everything I could. And it was tough when you're in a full blown panic attack. The only thing you care about is being healthy again and wanting to be normal. And you just almost can't, you almost just need to calm down. And finally the door opened and people started exiting and then the anxiety dissipated. But after that, I had a lot of issues and still do to an extent right now that I didn't have before, like flying, was never afraid of, to fly. The next time I was in an airport, I basically had tears going down my eyes and had to take a bunch of clonazepam to actually get on the plane. And then I did fly medication free last year the first for the first time in two and a half years. Riding elevators was nerve wracking for me, being stuck in traffic, just normal daily tasks. And you know, I'd go to therapy and it's, it's just doing the little things like the breath work, riding elevators again, flying again, just the only way to get better is really to, to face it. It's one thing to have the knowledge and to go to a therapy session, but you actually have to take action out of it. And it's like public speaking. It's like losing weight. Like it's hard to start, but I think getting those little small wins under your belt and then just building off of that. And it's like, what she had me doing elevator rides was okay. Just ride it from one floor to two the first day and then work your way up to like 20 to basement in your building and just stuff like that in that stuff can be effective just getting those small wins and going from there and being transparent about it i think it's been therapeutic i think it's actually been really good for business i published that story in that podcast on overcoming anxiety after flying medication free and the amount of people that reached out who were going through their own version of what i went through and i'm going through just you know, from big name CEOs to college students and anywhere in between. Mental health is real and it, it is talked about more now, but still not to the level that maybe it should be. And one thing I admire about you too is, yeah, you're very open about that stuff. And, you know, you're not afraid to share your political beliefs on social media or religious beliefs, see sweet for Christ, a lot of that stuff that you do. And I think a lot of that, that doesn't get talked about, you actually start talking about that people can relate to it. And I think it's good for business. You may alienate some people by doing that, but you're going to get a whole lot of people who are going to actually remember you and like you. And it's a competitive marketplace. And there's a lot of people that look the same. 
in doing something different for you, whether it's those stuff or that stuff, or you being the cold call coach, which is counter to what a lot of sales trainers do, like it works. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about that because I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. I mean, I've got my own life's motto, I suppose, and I put it out on a lot of the stuff that I do, which is making the impossible possible because it's only impossible until somebody does it for the first time. It's impossible to cold call. Oh yeah? Watch this. It's impossible to talk about Christ on a secular business platform like LinkedIn. Oh yeah? Watch this. I mean, those are the kind of things that really get me going. And just this morning, I talked about the speech that I gave at uh, a recent C-Suite for Christ gathering. It's only been up for six hours. For me, this is pretty good. It's got 10,000 views in six hours. So people are interested in this content. So, But let's talk a little bit about the trendsetter because you're a trendsetter. You're a leader. You're not a sheep. You're a wolf. And that's why people follow you. I think on my good days from time to time, I might be on the wolf side as well, but it's hard to come out there and say, you know what? These are my political beliefs. Here they are. You know what? These are my spiritual beliefs. Here they are. You know what? I had a panic attack on an airplane. Here it is. So what advice would you give to somebody that wants to step out, that wants to be that trendsetter that says, hey, this is really me, the raw version, the authentic version. I want to get it out, but I'm afraid of the backlash. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to be like a Richie Burke in that regard? I think if they're nervous about it, I think you have to have a desire to do it. There's a lot of successful people who don't post anything on social media. A lot of people who run big companies and aren't active on social media. That's fine. They have no desire to be. So, But if you actually want to, like I do or like you do, I was very hesitant to post that story about my anxiety issues last year and then I got a big response to it. I posted a, we did a dry January podcast and I wrote a big article about my love-hate relationship with alcohol, which got a ton of traction. And because it was raw and it was authentic and it was relatable. And (laughs) I ran it by my operations person. I even had my dad look at it because I was out in California with him before I posted it. And he's like, is your life just an open book? Do you want people to to read this? And, you know, I'm telling stories about the first time I drank and I was, again, I was kind of socially anxious and I start drinking alcohol and end up going to a party and making out with two girls. And I was like, oh my God, alcohol, this is amazing. I am hooked on this. And, or the time I qualified for the state am in 2019 in golf and I was seven drinks deep when I did it, or also ending up in the hospital and having a panic attack because I was hooked up to an IV because I drank too much and just kind of going down the line. And it was kind of humorous, but it was kind of raw and real and like people like that stuff. But if people want to step out and actually put that stuff on there and they're nervous about it. I think starting small with something that's easy if they have been struggling with something or if they just want to share their religious or political beliefs, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And then you can, if you want to go more full out like you or I, then you can do that or work your way up. But I will tell you from my experience and probably your experience, the positives far outweigh the negatives when you're doing that. I can even tell you, based on what you've posted, like, I'm not very religious. I can tell you that you and I had opposite political beliefs in the last election. I still respect what you're doing. I don't think any less of you because of that. I'm like, I like that because it humanizes you and I can see who you are. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And I think to some degree, individuals like you and I regrettably are the exception, not the rule. I actually did a video about this just a couple weeks ago calling for unity. 
and just just how families are being broken apart, how people are just going off on each other on social media. Yeah. So whether you be on the left or the right, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, I mean, we're all in this race together. I agree. And for us to be focused on this superficial stuff and, and, and not enjoying some of the relationships that we could, I mean, that, that's a big missed opportunity. One of the things that I want to make, I get your opinion on too, because when you look at you and I, yes, you and I are very, very similar. Just like your father said, do you want your life to be an open book? My wife says that as well, too. So they certainly, they certainly got that in common. It's not that I'm picking on this guy, but I think when you look at what you and I do versus what this guy does, I mean, we're totally night and day. Grant Cardone. Are you familiar with Grant Cardone? I've met him. Yeah. Okay. I, so in 2011, when I was starting out, I actually read his book and I flew down to Louisiana and went to one of his seminars. I'm very familiar with Grant Cardone. Yeah. Yeah. So for those people that might be not, one, feel free to look them up if you want. You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I try not to be a judgmental guy. I don't know him. I've never met him. And maybe he's different behind closed doors. But the way that Grant Cardone markets himself, I don't think I've ever seen a picture with him where he's not standing in front of three Rolls Royces. I don't think I've ever seen a picture for him where he's not disembarking from his private plane. His wife, Elena Cardone, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. She's like a size zero and she's always, you know, in her fashionable gowns and everything else. Like it just seems like Grant's image, his family's image, he talks about being a billionaire constantly, kind of appeals to what people want to be. Whereas I try to appeal to where people are now. And I'm just wondering, do you think there's, why do you think one is more appealing than others in some circumstances? Is there a right way to do this? Is there a wrong way to do this? Or is it literally just, hey, market to your audience and see what sticks? I think it's who your audience is. Like Grant is, has very, very good at what he does. His marketing is going to appeal to a certain segment. If he's marketing to like him or like a Ty Lopez or stuff like that, if they're marketing to a 18 year old guy, that's probably going to be really appealing. And I'm not limiting it to that age, but if you're kind of naive and you really want the private jet and you kind of have that view of that's what entrepreneurship is, which it is not at all. You mean you don't have one? <laughs> I don't have What's one. the matter with you? I've got three. Come on. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I'm not quite on your level. Here. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I think, you know, It is what it is. Grant's also a very polarizing figure. He clashes with a lot of people. A lot of people don't like him, but a lot of people do like him. And he's built a pretty big following. Now, I don't see Grant's bank statement, but I don't think it's bullshit that he's riding in his own plane. What bothers me is people who have not achieved that level of success or anything close to it. And then they're taking pictures in front of nice cars and trying to portray a lifestyle that they don't have at all that is bothersome to me. If Grant's actually made all that money and, you know, he wants to put that on social media, like have at it. That's going to appeal to a certain audience. And obviously it works for him for what he's selling. What would you say drives you? I've got a good understanding of your passions. I've got a good understanding of how you got to this point. But you know, anybody just on the personal side, anybody that deals with anxiety to some degree, life can be a little harder from time to time, a little bit more time getting out of bed, a little bit more time getting yourself motivated. You're a successful business owner, and I think your best days are directly in front of you. So you've got good stuff going there. I mean, what is it that drives you, both personally and professionally, to keep being the best possible version of yourself? I think it's been different at different phases of life. I think what drove me when I started my company was I wanted to prove something. I kind of wanted to do something big, but I think I wanted to prove something 
to others that I could do it, which isn't a very healthy source of motivation, I don't think. I think it can drive you a lot, and it did for me. I think right now I I genuinely enjoy what I do. I have a lot of responsibility. I'm responsible for my team. I'm responsible for a lot of clients, and I'm excited about about the future and growing my business. And I like the community I've been able to create. I love doing the podcast. I, I feel very lucky to have the life I have and I enjoy what I do. Am I satisfied with where I'm at? No, not really. I'd like to be doing everything on a larger scale, but you know, I feel, feel lucky to be, be where I'm at right now. And I think you look at just what makes people happy in, in general, and there's certain needs that all of us want, want to have met. And it really comes down to, we all want a certain level of freedom. We want to contribute to something beyond ourselves and we want to have good relationships and we want to make an impact essentially. And freedom doesn't mean you have to be an entrepreneur. I think there's kind of a skewed vision on like, Hey, screw being an employee, being an entrepreneur. And like, I think some people are wired very entrepreneurially and maybe they should go do that. But you can have a lot of freedom within your job and within your life and creative freedom and stuff like that. But I think that needs to be met. Relationships, those have a strong correlation with with happiness, personal growth. I have a job and, you know, do things that challenge me every day and I have to grow. And I think that's really important. And then just contributing to something bigger. And you get that as a business owner, you're responsible for a lot. So you look at those needs, whether it's freedom, growth, contribution, and relationships. And I think if you're having those met as a person, you're going to be happy. I think it's good to try and keep getting to a next level, but you know. Yeah. And I don't want you to give away your secret sauce on this because I think the best decision that any business owner or entrepreneur can make is to hire Richie Burke. Okay. Because so I don't want you to give away necessarily your secret sauce here, but it just seems like everybody and their mom has a podcast. Oh, I got a podcast. I just started a podcast. Check out my podcast. You want to be a guest on my podcast? If I hear like podcast one more time, it's like one of those words that you hear it so often. Yeah. But because you're the way that you've built your business, the way that you work with your clients, the stuff that you do, I know that you do things a little bit differently. So somebody just starts a podcast. Somebody wants to really take theirs to the next level without giving away your secret sauce, Richie Burke, because that's why people should hire you. What one or two, maybe even three things could people start doing to make this podcast, which just about everybody has, what can they do to make it stand out and really differentiate theirs from all the others out there? I'm happy to give away all my secret sauce. Remember, I like being an open book, but (laughs) (laughs) well, there you go. Anyway, so podcasting is more competitive now than ever. There's 1.75 million podcasts as of January. There were only about a million at this time last year. So it's not as easy to start as when I did in 2016. And the average podcast gets about 150 downloads. So I think it's important for people to have appropriate expectations when they're starting off. Now, if you're a brand with a built-in customer base and you have large social media followings or you're a mega influencer, then you're on a certain scale day one and you should have larger expectations for business. That said, even though there's almost 2 million podcasts, you compare that to there's 400 to 600 million active blogs. There's over 60 million Facebook pages. There's 30 million YouTube channels. So it's still in its infancy as far as where the platform's going to go. And you can still stand out because I'd rather be competing in that pool with 1.75 people than 30 or 60 or four to 600, right? I think when you're starting out, you have to be different 
you have to get different guests on, you have to have your own angle. What stories can you tell that no one else can? There's a lot of generic shows. There's a lot of shows that sound the same. Who can you have on? What angles can you take? Can you bring people together? We've found that topics outperform one-on-one interviews, even if it's a big name. People are interested in the topic more so than the guests. That's not saying you need to have several guests on, but what's that hook point? Why are people going to listen to that episode opposed to all the other options out there? What are they going to get out of it? And going very narrow and very specific What's their pain point? What's the benefit that they're going to get listening to this? Because whenever you consume content, whenever you buy a product, you want to get from your current state to your future desired state. And can this podcast episode bridge you there in one way or another? So I think going narrow, I think promoting it correctly, which is, you know, utilizing everything that you have, whether it's your email list, creating content that the guests can share, incentivizing them to share can any media pick this up? Because when I do a podcast, I produce a lot of extra content off of it. I have my partnership with On Milwaukee and I can bump it through their promotional engine and, and stuff like that, that I've, I've been able to cultivate those relationships and build that up. So, I mean, I think it's going narrow. I think it's the promotional angle of it. That's what I would say you have to nail right away. Cause there's still places that you can, it's not too late to win on the platform, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, everyone, you know, everyone should start a podcast. I think every brand could have started a podcast if they're committed and they're smart about doing it and they market it right. And some of the things we do is we do paid media behind some of them and there's specific tactics. Also consistency, like the downside to podcasting is it's not hitting the easy button. It's not shooting a LinkedIn video like you just did and getting 10,000 views on that instantly, like, or doing direct response marketing where we're doing Facebook ads and driving them back to a funnel and being able to bring customers instantly. And sometimes those work great and sometimes they flop, but you know right away. A podcast, it can take time to build up and, and it requires a certain amount of patience and that's where a lot of companies and a lot of people get tripped up is the amount of time and effort that goes into it. Well, one of the words that I'd like you to comment on a little bit, because it's one of the words in your organization's title is marketing. I think marketing touches just about every single person alive in some way, shape or form, whether it be marketing through sales, whether you be a marketing professional, whether you're looking for your next job, whether you're just trying to connect with people on LinkedIn, it just seems like people are always marketing. So from your perspective, knowing that marketing can be a big umbrella term, knowing that there's a lot of stuff underneath that marketing umbrella, what is one, maybe two things, Richie, that you wished more people knew about effective marketing that just don't? Marketing is hard in 2021. I think a lot of people listening will know that there's no barrier to entry. There's so many different platforms. We're getting pinged by those all the time. It's difficult to stand out. I think one of my favorite rules in marketing that will stand the test of time is to go where your audience is already spending time and adding unique value to them. Just, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's plenty of platforms your audience is on. You can target them very specifically. You can find them and you can add value to them. When you're trying to use marketing to acquire customers or get your message out, it really comes down to a few things. It comes down to the messaging and the offer a lot of companies don't have very clear messaging or very, you know, benefit driven messaging that's going to stop someone's attention in the feed. The messaging and the offer has to be on point. 
the creative has to be on point and that's the video or the image or the landing page you drive someone to and the targeting has to be on point. If you don't nail all three of those things in a campaign, you're screwed. If you have a great message and great creative and the targeting's off, you're not going to get in front of the right people. If you target right and you have a great message and the creative sucks, you're not going to convert them. So you need to nail those three things. And then Paul, I think something that you and I do a good job of that we've touched on already is just being unique because you have to stand out. And sometimes the only way you can do that is be yourself. How are you different? And podcasting has differentiated me and GGMM's brand. It accounts for 30% of our revenue. It's 90% of what we're known for. Companies reach out because they're curious in podcasting because there's so many marketing agencies in Milwaukee. There's so many. And most of them aren't very good at marketing themselves. And they all try and be everything to everyone. And we were at that point at one time and everyone does design and branding and paid media and websites and the gamut of marketing to companies. And one of the things, if I went back to square one, is I would specialize in a product and just win that and be the best at that or an industry. I'm going to be the best marketing agency for metal stamping companies and just kill it at that or whatever. And we didn't do that for a while until we stumbled across podcasting and we were like, okay, this is our our ticket to stand out and we're going to go all in on this. And what it's done is it's at least positioned us in a way that we're different and it's opened up a lot of doors like Komatsu. We did a bunch of work for them and they reached out because of podcasting and they signed on with us because brand strategy. They weren't ready to do podcasting, but then they realized we did all this other stuff. So it's different. What's unique about your brand, you need to get that, that across. And I think that comes down to being, I don't like the word authentic. I think it's super overused, but it is true is like, cause that's how you're different. Well, another synergy, just in case we haven't established enough of them during this conversation that you and I have is your passion for going deep as opposed to going wide as you're talking about. Because I remember back in 2015 when I was a, the financial advisor with Thrive and Financial and I was doing this consulting on the side, I had the, what's called an OBA, outside business activity. If I had money coming in as an advisor, I had to disclose where that came from. Yep. So I created the business, the cold call coach. I thought it was a stupid name. It took me six seconds to come up with. I just like the CCC. I don't know. That's just what I came up with. Do you know how many people said it was a good idea to teach cold calling exclusively at that time? Zero. Your, Zero. Mom, your mom, maybe? Not even my mom. My mom. I'm so disappointed, Paul. If my mom <laughs> didn't like it. No, because everybody said, A, cold calling is dead. Nobody does it. And B, you're pigeonholing yourself into cold calling. That was the best decision I ever made because when people think of my name, among some other things, cold calling is right there. So when you establish yourself as an authority figure, when you establish yourself as cornering a market as you have done in podcasting, I think that's an excellent strategy and you're obviously reaping the, the benefits of that. In sales... There's so many sales books. There's so many sales trainers. There's the Grant Cardones and the Jeffrey Gittimers who, who's been on my podcast and those guys who are national mega sales trainers. And it's hard to compete with them if you're just another sales trainer. I absolutely love how you just went the cold calling route that none of them are touching. That is really effective that you can add a lot of values to companies and you can own that area. Marketing is a broad term. Podcasting was... Not, no agencies were touching that. Great. I'm going to go into that. I wasn't passionate about podcasting going into it. I listened to some podcasts. I've still never edited a podcast in my life. I just like trying to win the game and I enjoy doing it. That was an avenue that I saw. That was an opportunity that I saw. And then, you know, like I said at the beginning, I think 
people tend to get passionate about what they're good at and what comes with that. And that's kind of what's happened with us in podcasting. Well, as we wrap up our time together here, Richie Burke, I just have one question for you. How much do we owe you for all of this insight? I just feel like we're stealing from you. Just golden nugget after golden nugget. How much do we owe you? You? A lot. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> A few dinners, some beer. Okay. All right. No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. You know, you know, <laughs> I'm getting off easy. Anything. I'm, I'm honored to see your face again. Awesome. Great. That's the first time anybody's ever said that to me in the history of my life. That was like the one question you stumped me with this whole time. It took me a while to answer that one. What are you on me? And it turned into know. a compliment about my know. face. So it, it, it ended well. Yeah, there, so I there appreciate you go. That, was, that. That was maybe that I probably botched some other questions on the course of this interview, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I never botch a question, and I don't think you botched an answer. So I think we were okay here okay. today. Yeah, very good. Your team good. can edit edit that out too. Yes, I don't maybe. think it's necessary, but right. we certainly can. So All ladies right. and gentlemen, this is Richie Burke, founder and CEO of Go Get It Marketing and Media. Richie, boy, what a blessing it was to have you. Thank you for all of this excellent information. Keep doing what you're doing, and you're touching a lot of lives in the process. I'm real proud of you. Thanks for having me, Paul. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.